Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Kurt Tufert. Kurt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hello, Kamala and all the other people who are listening. I'm the Vice President of Sales Development here at DXP. DXP is an industrial distributor in Houston, Texas. Uh, We started in 1908, and we're a publicly traded company, about $1.3 billion in sales. And my job is to create sales development tools, arrows in your quiver, if you will, for both the sales side of the house as well as the marketing side so that we can expand and grow. Marketing and sales, we have talked in the past about how there can be some friction between the two, but I would love to focus on how can we sell sales on marketing's message and what steps do we need to take in terms of taking feedback back from sales in order to keep that relationship moving? That's a great question, Camilla. There is a dance, if you will, that I think we need between sales and marketing. Many times, small, medium, and even large-sized businesses, they work in either two separate silos or two different vacuums. Sales is expecting marketing to be the miracle maker. Marketing is expecting sales to be the miracle maker. And the frustrating challenge is, is they're both pointing fingers at each other about how the other person isn't getting the communication to themselves. And it's so tragic that I think what makes a successful outcome is a successful team-based communication. And you know, a lot of what we've done here at DXP either is from the four disciplines of execution book from the Covey Group, where we have a wildly important goal, leading and lagging indicators, a scorecard, and a cadence. And we share that with marketing so marketing can adjust their messaging and make those subtle course corrections so they're not operating in a vacuum where sales says, that's not what I wanted. And marketing says, well, that's not what you told me. And we work together to collaborate. And I think we need to recognize that sales and marketing's jobs are kind of getting closer and closer together in the kind of tactics that we use. So... I know a lot of us use sales playbooks, outreach, and a lot of email goes into that. And I think we could learn a lot from each other. So for example, at CaliberMine, we have one rep in particular who just has insane engagement rates with his subject lines and then response rates with his content. So I, in marketing, mimic him quite a bit. (laughs) I mean, it's important for me to see what works on, on that side. And then there are some emails that we say, okay, we can have a bit of a longer message here. It's higher in the funnel. We're doing some education. That's okay. So I want to speak a little bit more about the leading and lagging indicators. Why are those so critical in getting everybody on the same page? That's a great question. And and let me first define a leading indicator would be something that we would look for in the future. A lagging indicator is something that we can historically look back toward. So for instance, we're in the world of a pandemic, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic world where everybody's using some type of sophisticated email system, whether you're using a software package like MailChimp or Constant Contact or something of that nature. The lagging indicators tells me the number of opens, bounces, clicks, things of that nature. But to your point, that leading indicator would be 
what could we say? What what is the message that will be captured? Now, not not every subject line is so earth shattering that you get a one hundred percent open rate. The frustrating thing is marketing is frustrated because they're trying to create a message that people will either read or act on or push and pull. And sales is frustrated because marketing doesn't have that magical that, that magical elixir of what they could say. I think when, when when marketing says, here are some of the futuristic things we want to do, imaging, subject lines, maybe it's a cadence, maybe it's a, a multi-touch type of marketing, that creates a little bit more of that lagging indicator opens and clicks and tribal building. I think when you work those two things together, whether it's electronic or direct mail, I believe there's a synergy there that can quickly help us make those course corrections. And you said something when we were talking about uh, the magic of marketing and how sales thinks that they just go in a room and come up with all these great ideas. You want to go into that a little bit? Yes, it's like Mad Men, the old 1970s phenomenal runaway success. It's not like you're Don Draper and you're out there and you're creating absolute magic in, in marketing. I believe there's got to be this, this, this working together because sometimes the messaging that we hear in sales, we're talking to customers, prospects, and suspects. We're, we're, we're bringing that data into a meeting, into marketing and saying, guys, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're hearing. This is what we're actually happening in the field. And sometimes marketing is maybe one or two steps behind in that communication loop. What would be phenomenal would be to bring marketing with us to sales calls, bring marketing with us to where they can see, touch, feel, hear, experience what is actually happening with their message. And then they can start making their course corrections and saying, hey, this isn't working. We thought it was, or maybe they're too egotistical. We know this will work, but it's not working, guys. And instead of just being mad at each other or creating silos, it's more of a of a nuance. And so let's just understand that that we can't always be 100% creative like Don Draper and Mad Men. It, it doesn't go that way. That's why it's a TV show and not reality. Yeah, for sure. And then... I want to talk a little bit about being in meetings. So sales managers are understandably pretty protective of sales meetings. They don't want somebody coming in and accidentally derailing everything. There's a lot of great software out there that records the calls that marketing can listen to passively without the risk of participating. Although I really appreciate it when I am included on those sales calls and can sit quietly I'll even promise not to say anything, but actually being in the call and hearing how people are interacting is, I think, a little richer than just listening to a recording. How can we get past the fear that marketing is going to blow up a sale? Mm, great question. How do we get past the fear that marketing will blow up a sale? I have had super success bringing marketing early and often into these meetings. For instance, uh, we're doing an active project right now. We're calling it digital marketing. In industrial distribution, we're a little on the archaic side. We don't we don't typically enhance and embrace this this technology so quickly. So marketing's out doing their thing, and they're typically understaffed, and they've got a million things that they're doing. We've invited them in on the beginning stages, and we've asked them 
what have you seen? What software do we currently have that we can use to digitize, to, do, to allow these tools to go into the hands of the sales teams? Now, in that conversation, by inviting marketing in, they shared with us, this is great, Kurt. We appreciate you bringing us in. There's going to be a pinch point here if more and more of the sales teams wants digital marketing, uh, emails, direct mails, the creative side, because it takes us, marketing, time to create, time to enhance. And then we have to send the proof back to sales to make sure we're saying the right thing, we're, we're doing the right thing. And then once that gets to that final cut, then we execute. And then we have to come back in and explain to sales just what just happened. We sent out 2,000 postcards, we got 50 bounce backs. We sent out 2,000 emails, we got uh, 1,500 opens and 12 bounces and so on and so forth. This vets and validates all of our lead sources. And once we do that, marketing feels like they're part of the solution, the win. And if it doesn't work, that's okay, then they're part of the not win. And we make our adjustments. But, but my advice to all the listeners is, don't be afraid of inviting marketing in. To your point, maybe we record these Zoom calls or we record the sales meetings and allow marketing a voice or a seat at the table or an audit at the table and just be quiet and listen. And then we'll talk privately afterwards. Mm -hmm. I like that. Have you been burned by attribution? Are you tired of fighting with salespeople over target accounts and lead scores? We've all been there, and that's because traditional marketing analytics tools bolt onto your CRM and calculate attribution and engagement scores on the data as it is. And let's face it, most of the time, your CRM data is far from perfect. Caliber Mind is unique because it pulls data from all your sources, not just your CRM, into a data platform. Caliber Mind unifies your information, which means you can attribute dollars to website activity, standard Salesforce campaign activity, and more without wasting time in spreadsheets. Ditch the spreadsheets and check out a new way to analyze revenue data with Caliber Mind at calibermind.com. A lot of times the type of emails and communication that marketing sends out is not what we want sales to send out. It's text heavy, lots of images. And if we give that to sales, there's a higher chance of things bouncing and you don't have that personalized touch that works really well. So what's the best way to kind of communicate back and forth that marketing is trying this tactic? It looks slick, but it's not going to work further down the funnel. And, and to your point, I ask marketing to find a few sales champions, people who are successful in what they do and allow them a little bit of that creative license, allow them to review what marketing is about to send and let them say, yay, nay, change this, add that. Because when it is successful or not successful, we at least have a couple of sales champions who've been part of the equation. And so the entire sales force doesn't throw marketing under the bus because it's too text, he too text heavy or image, wrong image, wrong license, wrong everything. And I think marketing feels safer as they start testing some things out. And uh, we've got three or four people here within our North American sales force that we send these to and say, hey, what do you think about this? And then they say, great idea. Or they'll say, who's your target audience? Because you're, you're, you're targeting purchasing and it's an engineering message. Or you're targeting engineering and it's a purchasing message. 
I guarantee you the engineer is going to delete it because he's not part of the purchasing decision process. Wow. Thank you. And we can redirect before it gets catastrophic. Yeah, I think marketing can learn a lot from the people who are actually talking to the different demographics about messaging. So you're totally right. It has to fit their their place in the buyer journey and how they're interacting with the product. So I think that's a great point. So another thing I wanted to talk about, or we wanted to talk about was A-B testing and how data can be a tiebreaker. I would love for you to go into that a little bit more. Well, I appreciate that. I've got this new project that I'm working that I want to do a profile of our executives because we're a North American-based company, 2,450 plus employees. Many times our employees far, far away will never really interface, experience, or engage with our Houston-based executives. And so I thought Comfy Couch, James Corden, maybe Jimmy Fallon kind of uh, uh, little video. So I'm setting this up and I started shooting uh, some demo video with a low profile camera, and then maybe a high profile, low meaning shot upwards, high meaning shot downwards. I just didn't know which one was going to work. So I created a demo video and I sent it to 37 people. And I said, what do you think about low or high? And I gave them plenty of, of a B-roll so they could see it and experience it. And it was a 50-50 split. <laughs> and I thought, dang. I really thought my A-B testing would give me a super tiebreaker. And then I went back to the people who voted and I, I interviewed them. I said, thank you for, for voting low. Why did you vote low? Well, we like it because it's more intimate. Or why did you vote high? Well, Kurt, don't you know, you never shoot low because it shows double chins, triple chins, and everybody's selfies is always elevated. Oh, okay. Well, what about and I went back and forth and I came up with the uh, the aha moment that says, guys, if it's such a tiebreaker, I really will let A-B testing rule. I will run this in one direction and see how that's working. And if the if my subject matter, my audience says, oh, gosh, did that guy add like 50 pounds? I'll stop and redirect and go to another direction. I'm not afraid of it. I just want to make sure that when the final product gets out there into the market of my customer base, which is the, the 2,400 plus employees, that the executives are cast in the best light. And marketers know this, and we're hearing this on this podcast. Everything is so subjective. I tell my salespeople, when you've seen one person, you've seen one person. We can't predict the behavior of another person because it's so subjective. Mm -hmm. And so we got to rely on just trying some stuff out. I mean, there's insurance commercials right now. I don't want to call out the name of the company, but they're just obnoxiously bad. Yeah. And it's yellow and it has an animal in it. And it's so obnoxiously bad that I can't stop thinking about it. So they won. Yeah, it works. And I wish they would just leave because I will never buy their insurance. However, oh, then it doesn't work. So it's stuck in your head, but in a bad... <laughs> we're talking about it. And that's what frustrates me. I'm mm -hmm. more of the uh, the clever, more nuanced marketing person on commercials. But, you know, they got me. Yeah. I like a little humor myself, but... And yeah. humor is subjective as well. <laughs> but... it, it really is. I'm thinking about anybody who's written a book and put it on Amazon. The rating's going to vary by what they had for breakfast and what their mood is and what kind of things they like individually. So, yeah. That's why we're in marketing. 
Yeah. We love the puzzle because it changes every day. It's it, it, And that's what we're intrigued with. And it's we're attracted to this. We want to get better. And I keep talking about Mad Men, but it, what an epic ending of a series. Boy, the writers were br- brilliant in so many different ways. But I haven't found my uh, I'd like to teach the world to sing moment yet in marketing. But but I'm still young. I still have a lot more time and I'm, I'm going to try some more things. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping these projects work. Love it. So, Kurt, where can people find you online to network? My profile on LinkedIn is probably the easiest one uh, on that one, Camilla. It's my last name, T-U-E-F-F-E-R-T. And I mean, come see me there. Let's bounce some ideas off of each other. And and I'd love to share because that's that's what it's all about is for me to just kind of pay it forward to uh, anybody who, uh, who's got some bottlenecks and struggles in marketing or sales. Thanks, Kurt. And thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And for those of you out there listening and wanting more material like this, check out calibermind.com. Thank you.